Um, we have just been so blessed in this body with like amazing worship, and that is just the Lord, and it's so sweet and amazing artists and beautiful faces, and I'm just really glad to be here with you guys tonight. I wanted to tell you um, that there's tissues. <laughs> like for future reference, um, we have t- a bunch of tissues in that little basket. So if you need any, grab a little thing of tissues. And there's some extra retreat shirts that you could have too. <laughs> so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, uh, for your promises. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Um, that is our life and our strength, God, our instruction book, God. Thank you for your nearness. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for these women, Lord, here. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would speak to them, that you would minister to them, that each woman would be able to lay down any burden that they brought in, anything that they're carrying, that tonight they would lay it at the foot of your cross, God, and that they would know and believe and trust in your promises, God. You are good, and you love us so much, Jesus, and you love these women, and you look at these women with tender care because you're a good shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the promise of a Savior, such a a privileged thing to teach in that it's sent me quaking all um, week or weeks in just studying this. But our theme um, scripture is 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. We're jumping around a lot, um, so have your Bibles handy, but I think we might actually have them up there as well. But anyway, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may partake, be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Have any of you guys here ever made a promise but not kept it? Probably all of us, right? Probably just today we made a promise and didn't keep it, right? And some things I guess are you can consider like minor promises. Like I promise I'm not going to eat ice cream for a week, right? Like that's a minor promise, but you're probably going to do it anyway. Um, but then there's major promises like your wedding vows, right? That's a major promise. That's, that's a big deal. And humans, we so often make promises with flippancy, right? We just, oh, yeah, like, I promise. And we don't really mean it, right? I remember um, when I was a young lady, um, I was about to have surgery. And I was really afraid because I was a Christian, but I wasn't really walking with the Lord. And so I made God a bunch of promises. Like, if you let me live, I don't know why I just thought I was going to die. If you let me live, like... I promise I won't do this, 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 and this, right? And he let me live, and I just went right back into my sinful nature, right? Because I made that promise with flippancy, right? I didn't take it seriously at all. I didn't, I didn't trust in the one who I made that promise to. What about government, right? They take these allegiances or these promises, right, to serve their country well and to do what's right before God and man, right? And we see the disaster, right? We can't put any trust or hope in the government's promise, right? We've seen that just be shambles. It's a disaster, right? They break their promises regularly. 
But the difference is, is that God does not break promises. God is truth. So when God makes a promise, it can only be true. He has no other way to be because he is truth. That's his very definition. So the, the outline tonight is three points. Um, the number one point is the grasping of the promises. And we're just going to do an overview of just promises in general um, in the Bible. The second point is the greatest promise, and that's the prophecy of Jesus. And then the third point is the grand promise, and that is Jesus revealed. So point number one, the grasping of the promises. Um, a promise means a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or, or that a particular thing will happen. I like what C.H. Lewis says. Um, Tamar got me this really cool book, um, and he says this in this book. It says, a promise from God is like a check payable to order. It is given to the believer with the view of delivering to him some good thing. We are not meant to read it at our leisure and then forget about it. No, we are to treat that promise as a reality, as someone treats a check. We are to take the promise and endorse it with our own name by personally receiving it as true. We are to accept it by faith as our own. Um, we seal the deal by believing that God is true and true to this particular word of promise. We go further believing that we have the blessing by having the sure promise of it. And therefore, we put our names to it to acknowledge the receipt of the blessing. This done, we must present the promise to the Lord in faith as someone presents a check at the counter of the bank. We must plead it by prayer, expecting, it to, have, expecting to have it fulfilled. If we have come to heaven's bank at the right date, we'll we will receive the promised amount at once. If the date should happen to be in the future, we must patiently wait until it arrives. But meanwhile, we may count the promise as money for heaven's bank is sure to pay when the time arrives. I love that. It's so beautiful. Do you know that in the Bible there are over 3,000 promises and each and every one is proven to be true? That is so big. Can you grasp that? I can't grasp that. That is amazing. Some of the promises we're going to go through. Um, first, there was a promise of a Savior, right? The greatest of all promises. Um, this is the first, prom uh, first prophecy of Jesus is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 through 15. And we're going to look at that more closely in point two. Um, but... It's just so cool that God did not want to wait long to tell us about the plan of redemption, the plan of salvation, right? So it does say in Genesis 3, 14 through 15, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we're going to expound upon that in a minute. But another promise is the promise that God is who he says he is. He is. And it tells us here in Exodus 3, 13 through 14, it says, Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, 
I am who I am. And he said, thus, you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So when God said, I am who I am, repeating it again, I am, right? He's stating that he is Yahweh. He is the Lord Almighty. He's forever. He is period. He is the eternal one. He is the beginning. He's the end. He's God Almighty. He is the great I am. I think we have hot ladies in here. They're fanning themselves if we can turn the AC. <laughs> um, the next thing that, he, that is a promise is promise for salvation for those who believe in Jesus Christ, right? We know John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Have you ever just... I know we know that, but do you ever just dwell on that? This great promise, right? That we have salvation if we believe. Another promise is that he, he gives us the promise of the helper, right? The Holy Spirit. He tells us that in John 14, 16 through 17, Jesus says this, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Another promise is just a promise for us as believers. Romans 8.28, we know that too. We know that all things work together for the good, for those who love God, and to those who are called according to his purpose, right? What does all mean? Oh, that's right. All things are, right? In calm and in storm, in health and in wellness, in suffering and in joyous things, in life and in death, right? All things God is working together for the good for those who believe in him and who have been called according to his purpose. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, um, but in everything by prayer. And, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace which surpasses all, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. We see, you see that all things are all things. And sometimes we don't understand the whys of the all things, right? Because we're finite. But God said it and we can believe him, right? We don't always understand. That whole word, um, surpassing, surpass, means go beyond. It doesn't mean go to. It means go beyond. So surpassing means you might not understand. It's going to go over your understanding, which has helped me a lot because I'm a very visual person. So I kind of imagine it like just leaping over, like my understanding, my little tiny brain, right? And God's big, giant I am self, just like he's just jumping over my understanding because clearly I don't need to understand if he's not revealing it to me, and nor do you, right? Um, this promise in Philippians 4, 6 through 7 is attached to faith, right? You have to believe that. How can we believe sometimes the horror, the things that happen in this world? How can we sometimes believe that's for good? How is that an all thing, God? How is that an all thing? How is the suffering an all thing, right? Um, because we have to be anchored to the I am 
right? We have to be anchored. I don't have the understanding of that, and neither do you, but God is beyond time, and he's beyond um, everything, circumstance, right? And so we might not ever be able to grasp it this side of, of heaven, but we know that God is infinite, and we're just finite, and our brains are so small and so tiny, and if we don't know it, it's because we're not supposed to know it. That's it. He is the I am, and that is enough. He is period. He is everlasting. He's all we need. He's truth. He is the I am. A few promises that you could jot down. I obviously am not going to read each one, but a few promises that he's given to us both corporately as the church, but also individually, is he promises protection in Psalm 91.3. He promises healing in 1 Peter 2.24. He promises that he is near in James 4.8. He promises a blessing in Deuteronomy 28.2-6. He promises victory in Romans 8.37. He promises that there is purpose in trials in James 1.2-3. He promises comfort in 2 Corinthians 1, 4 through 5. He promises wisdom in James 1, 5 through 6. He promises his love in 1 John 4, 16. And he promises renewed strength in Isaiah 40, 31. And there's so many more. I can't go through 3,000. But I do challenge you that as you're reading from this point on the word of God, when you see a promise, jot it down, underline it, do something and say, this is a promise. This is a promise from God. Your mind is going to be blown if you just practice that discipline. I can't tell you as I've prepared and studied how often now I'm like, that's a promise. And I'm so excited. Like I'm like, I'm hanging on. That's a promise. I'm hanging on. And I love that. So I do challenge you to do that as well. I also want to tell you about what it looks like to find a personal promise. Um, We've talked about this a little bit, but I'm going to give you a few easy ways um, to do this. One is to pray for God to give you a word from him. Right? That's number one. Number two is to actually get in the word and read it. Right? And to pause on things that stand out to you. So if something stands out to you, pause on that. Meditate on it. Maybe write it down. Pray about it. Journal it. Think about it all day. Go back to it all week. Right? That's number two. Number three is believe that God wants you to know his heart personally. Do you believe that when you're reading the word that he wants you to know his heart personally? Believe that. Number four is remember God will never give you a promise that contradicts the word. That is why we find our promises in the word, right? So he will never give you a promise that contradicts the word. And number five is revisit that promise often. Um, Personal example for me is Psalm 128.2, which we're studying, but verse 2 says, in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. And I love olive plants and trees, um, but I was desperately seeking the Lord for just a word concerning my family, and he brought me to this. And so when I'm struggling, 
I go to that. I cannot tell you how many times in a week I probably write down um, Psalm 128, a portion of it, but I go to him with that. I write about it, but you know what else I do? I remind him that it's a promise. Like, I do. I remind him, Lord, you promised me. Like, I'm anchoring myself to you. You promised me. So remember that. There are some things that are not promises, right? We talked about that a little bit, but worldly wisdom is not a promise. Worldly wisdom is rubbish. It's trash, right? It's just trash. Um, we, we don't, again, I want to reiterate that. We do not find our promises outside of God and his word. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So sometimes we, we get godly wisdom from other people, right? It's why we have pastors and leaders and friends that are godly. That's great. That's great as long as it aligns with God's words. So just remember that. And then there's some weird things like that people make up that seem like scripture, like cleanliness is next to godliness. And that's not a scripture, though I do like tidiness. It's not a scripture. So that could be rejected um, for you uh, messy ones. Um, <laughs> but also some things that are not promises is um, things that people say when people die like in funerals. People do not become angels, and angels do not become people. They don't transfer over. That's not scriptural, and that can be rejected completely. That's not in the Word of God, right? So that's one thing, right? They're somebody that you love, though you love them. Um, they're, not watch, they're not an angel watching you from heaven, okay? That's not in the Bible. Um, another thing is that all people do not go to heaven, right? There's only one way to heaven, and that is through um, faith, and in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. That is the only way to heaven, right? And we know that. We saw that as Jesus hung on the cross, right? There were two thieves next to him. How many went to paradise that day? One, right? Because that one believed in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. There's, he is the only way to heaven. So we reject things like that. And when, if you have the opportunity, if you're at a funeral, you go up there and you speak the truth because that's when those hearts are thinking about death. So, okay, the second point is the greatest promise, which is the prophecy of Jesus. And this is a great promise. Prophecy means a divinely inspired utterance or revelation. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our, in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right, so it's important to understand. This is why it says our image, right? Because Jesus always was, he always is, he always will be, right? 
our image, right? We see the picture right there of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, so one God, three personalities, three characteristics, right? So I'm going to expand a little bit from point one, going back to Genesis 3.14, that first prophecy of Jesus. And you've got it in your homework too, so we're just driving it in. Um, but again, it says, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, right? This is after, this is at the fall. And more than every beast of the field on your belly, you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this is God speaking to the serpent at the fall of man, right? And I love just to reiterate how God wants to announce his plan for salvation here. And I really looked into this because some of it's like the heel, the head, the this, the that, you know, and I looked into it. Um, the seed of the woman, right? It's the seed of the woman because Jesus was born of a virgin, right? It's not the seed of a man. We know that. Um, Genesis 3.15 is known as the proto-evangelium. And this is composed of two um, compounded Greek words. Um, proto means first, and evangelium means good news. So the first good news, which is salvation, right? I like that. Um, it says, he shall bruise your head because Jesus is the redeemer, right? He's the greater than, and sin um, caused man to need redemption, and bruise means to actually literally crush. So Jesus did not just injure the enemy. He completely defeated the enemy. And then heal, the enemy would bruise Jesus, right? Because Jesus allowed the enemy to get within arm's reach of him. And that's such a beautiful picture of that because Jesus allowed them to beat him, to scourge him, to spit on him, to nail him to a cross, right? He allowed that to happen. So he allowed that. That's what it means, the heal. But we know that that did not hold Jesus down. We know that he rose again. So that's beautiful to me. God's kindness here is not just, it's not even really describable. I don't have the human words to describe the kindness and the tenderness and the sweetness of Jesus towards us in this. So uh, he took the quarrel between the serpent and woman personally, Jesus did, and he disgraced the serpent right there on the battlefield. And it really ought to cause us pause. It really ought to make us think that he rescued us from eternal damnation. He laid out that plan from the beginning, and that should cause us pause. That should be something that we go and visit often, that we shouldn't just take as like a no big deal thing. That's the biggest deal. Um, Isaiah 53 talks a lot, right? The whole chapter talks about the prophecy of Jesus. Um, and it was revealed 750 years before Jesus's birth, which is incredible. Um, verse 1, we'll go through this quickly. I'm just going to break it down. Verse 1, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Right? Jesus was rejected. God's arm was strong. Um, he was going to suffer for our sin. That's what that's telling us. And then it says in verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. So Jesus grew up in a very common, normal family, right? He was weak. He was vulnerable. He grew up in Galilee, which was Roman-occupied, that, that uh, dry 
ground it actually speaks of hopeful soil, right? Because when something seems impossible, God is able. He's able to show off there. It goes on to say, he has no form or loneliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus looked like a normal, average man. Um, what makes made Jesus attractive was the Holy Spirit in him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Uh, Jesus' grief was not for himself, right? His grief was for others because he wanted the redemption of all of us. So that's what that means. Um, and as we, it goes on to say, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all. So even though men value physical beauty, right? God sees our heart. Jesus took all that grief, all of that sorrow, right? By bearing those stripes for us so we would not be damned. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Even in suffering, Jesus was in control. Even as he was cut off, speaking of God's complete judgment towards him, he was fully willing to die, fully in control. And then it goes on to say, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He is put into grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So Jesus was put in absolute grief, right? The Father and Jesus were absolutely connected in fellowship at the cross, right? For mankind's redemption. The accomplished work of the cross pleased the Father, right? And it saved our souls because victory is available in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin for many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus gave it all, right? He put his name on a list with your name, with my name, right? And it's miraculous. We know even now that Jesus lives to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7.25. And in Psalm 84, 11, which Pastor John went over, um, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That is a promise. The third point is the grand promise Jesus revealed. So how do we know that prophecies um, are promises that come to fruition? 
uh, Jesus himself is revealed as the greatest prophet and also our savior. And here are some examples. Matthew 24, 35, um, heaven and earth will pass away, but my, my words will by no means pass away, right? Jesus predicted that his words are everlasting. What sits on your lap, right? His word. That's a big deal. Um, to Mary of Bethany, who anointed him with oil, he said, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Do you guys know that story of Mary of Bethany? You do, huh? We do. Matthew 26, 2. You know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered to be crucified. Do we know the story of Jesus' crucifixion? Yes, this word stands forever. It does. Um, so we can go on, obviously, on and on and on. But here we know that Jesus is the prophet and the Messiah. Revelation 1, 17 through 18 says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He said, this is John. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forever. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. And John, his disciple, right, his beloved disciple who walked with Jesus, possibly didn't even recognize Jesus here, right? Um, but he knew him by his touch. What did Jesus do? He touched him. And it makes me think of Mary, right? Mary at the tomb, she didn't know Jesus. How did she know him? It was him by his voice, right? Um, obviously, John 10, 16, we know this, tells us that the shepherds know his voice, right? We know his voice. Jesus revealed means we don't have to be afraid. Uh, we're safely locked in the shadow of his wing. I love to think of myself tucked under the shadow of the wing of Jesus, just safely, just nuzzled in and protected. I was watching this little girl at church the other day, and she was walking around. There was a bunch of women talking, and she was walking around, and her mom was talking too, and she kept grabbing um, other moms' legs. And then she'd look up, and she would realize, like, oh, that's not my mommy, you know? And she, she did it so many times, and I thought it was such a beautiful picture of how the Lord is with his daughters, with us, right? We, we want to wander sometimes, and we often grab onto other things, and all we have to do is look up and think, oh, wait, that's not my Savior, right? And you're relieved immediately of the insecurity and the fear and the trouble that you have when you're really grasping the Savior, right? Not anyone else's leg or anyone else's heart. Um, so the whole purpose of studying this is to remind us of who he is. That's the greatest reason to study the promises of God, right? Because we can stand firm on his unshakable, firm, beautiful, wonderful foundation, the foundation that can never crumble. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22 says, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has seated us, sealed us, I'm sorry, and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So this final word, right, is 
uh, Jesus is revealed. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. Therefore, all of the promises truly are yes and amen. That's what that means. You guys have been singing it all that time, all this time, right? It means that the law was given, and it's Jesus's arrow, right? We needed a redeemer. That's what it means. It was all fulfilled in the perfect Lamb, Jesus Christ. His truths are true. His promises are are ours. So yes and amen, past, present, future are already accomplished because he is the great I am, period, right? And so we can just rest in our Jehovah Nisi, right? Um, Because we're victorious. The banner over us is his love. So that's beautiful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for truly your promises, God. And I do pray, Lord, just this feeble attempt at trying to explain them, God, will help us, Lord, to um, grasp and hold on to your word, to your promises, God. You're good, you're faithful, you're true, you're believable in every way, and you're proven, God. So bless your daughters, bless our group time. Let it be sweet to your ears, in Jesus' name, amen. I keep putting this on. I'm so grateful. It's scary. It is. This thing scares me. That was so good. I love it. I love that we're back again. That's so, I just, I'm so excited about um, our worship. I love this poster. We were exhorted by our pastor, and he said, seek those things which are above. Um, and then Kim just tagged right on to our pastor and just is grasping the promise and the greatest promise of Jesus, the grandest promise that Jesus revealed. I love the quote that she gave. It said, endorse your promise with your own name, put your name to it, and we'll receive it at its perfect time. So we take uh, the verse that Jill read it, went with us, and it said, so we're going to go, blessed are those who fear the Lord. So you said, I'm blessed if I, as I fear the Lord, and I will walk in his ways. So write it down. And um, one thing that Kim talked about was um, that when God created the earth and he uh, gave dominion to man to have dominion over the animals on the earth. And a um, couple, two weeks ago, uh, my daughter decided to call me Snow White, the original Snow White, because... <laughs> I uh, take my my dog on a walk at 5 in the morning. Well, not 5. I get up at 5.30, really. And then we probably try to hit the trail close to 6 so I can miss three school buses because it's annoying. <laughs> so um, I go on the old dam, and the first morning I ran into a little... Now, I'm going to call it a Texas rat because they kind of look like little round gerbils. They're not as bad looking as the scary kind. And then, it, and then uh, two days after that, I... Um, a German shepherd wandered into my yard and she just walked right into my house. And so she's like, mom, you know, and so this is where it really gets good. In between those two, we are walking our trail and I got my flashlight on because I'm like this, you know, and I'm trying to quote scriptures and praying, but it's really hard because I've got to keep an eye on the dog. And he's not on a leash because we're out on the old dam and he's running all, you know, he's checking and sniffing and checking the trail out. And I'm like this. And all of a sudden he darted out towards the water, like going down the rocks. And I did my flashlight like this, and there was a little, uh, about this big skunk. And um, immediately I'm thinking, oh no, mama might be near. But now my dog's gone way down near the water because he knew what that was. He absolutely ran away. And um, this little skunk, he doesn't know how to, you know, do the whole uh, big skunk thing. But he was, he was puffing, he, he little puffs. He lifts his tail and he was puffing at us as best as he could. Well, then we go to the end of the trail and we come back and he came back out 
And I think it's because my dog's black with a white puff on his tail. And he started to run after Remy. And I, then I'm worried that maybe the baby skunk doesn't have a mama. You know, then he, he kind of darted back. So we're trucking along like this. And I, I wave to my neighbor. I go, hey, Garden, ran into a baby skunk. He goes, yeah, I smell you. <laughs> so, anyway, we're going to break into groups. So if you, I think the odor's gone now. It's been a couple of weeks. But, um, does anybody not have a group? Does anybody not have a, everybody knows where to go or who their leader is? Okay, so my group is going to be on this end, and we're going to do, uh, let's see, is it Jill right here, and then Kim's going to go in the back? Is that kind of how we're going to go? Jill, you get to be kind of more in the center now. Where, where'd Jill go? There she is. More in the center, and then Kim will be in the way, way back in the real private area, and then Tamar more up here. Is that how you usually? Okay. All right. Let's go.